0: Nine. A nine. Oh, interesting. The topic we'll be discussing today is, how do you use PDFs and digital game resources?
1: Hello, and welcome to Roll for Topic. I'm Chris Salzman.
0: I'm Andy Rao. And this week we're joined by Tim Saucer. Hey, everyone. Hey. Welcome, welcome. Back
1: um yeah and uh we we wanted to have you back on tim so you were on just like a couple months ago maybe even weeks i don't even know time time doesn't mean much anymore um but you have just wrapped up a campaign of your own um and there's some probably some yeah some fun stuff that you can share about that and just some like good tips and tricks and stuff so we want to talk about that a little
0: bit before we dive into our topic you know can i jump in here real quick yeah. i just wanted to say you know this is the second kind of campaign recap that we've done so far this year and i just wanted to explain i thought it might be worth explaining a little bit our thinking on it and yeah. i don't know what you think about this chris but uh, i think you know completing bringing a role-playing campaign to completion uh where it doesn't end because it everybody flaked out or it just lost steam i think bring it to a point of conclusion is something to really celebrate so mm-hmm. tim that's Part of the reason we wanted to bring you on is just to let you celebrate a little bit and reflect on your campaign. So okay. sorry to jump in there uh, <laughs> rudely and interrupt you, but Tim, we'll now turn it back over to you. And yeah, can you give us the uh, kind of elevator pitch of your campaign and tell us how it went? Uh, yes. The, the context behind creating this campaign was that I had been playing uh,
2: D&D with my, uh, with my kids and the neighborhood group and having a lot of fun, and it was something I wanted to do with my wife, and I wanted to share this experience with her. And I was explaining to her about what it was, and she kept asking me really hard questions like, so what's the point? <laughs> yeah, good <laughs> question. Like, well, it's to have fun and tell a story. And, and she's like, uh, OK, sure. And I thought, well, maybe if I could get a couple people together and just do a one shot, we could you know, see how it goes. And in order to do that, what I wanted to do was I wanted to make an environment that she was going to really enjoy. And, you know, as some little more background, she knew a lot of people that played D&D because she worked at the Michigan Renaissance Festival for a number of years and had many, many friends. And she had definitely a very clear idea of what she thought and was not interested in that. And so I I thought, okay, well, how can I make this more palatable? Um, So I asked a bunch of women in my neighborhood if they wanted to play D&D and very timidly asked uh, some women in my neighborhood, and they all said yes, and mm-hmm. so we got together, and so I, I started calling them the Mom Squad, um, <laughs> and it, it started off as um, we had uh, five women and two of their husbands who were playing honorary moms, because they all, they all played women characters in, in the campaign, set in a matriarchy, and, um, and I did run a published adventure, uh, so I ran Waterdeep Dragon Heist, so 5e mm-hmm. uh, campaign. And we ran that. Um, I had to make a couple tweaks at the end for timing issues, also known as baby issues. Someone was having a baby. (laughs) So we (laughs) needed to speed up the end of that bit. Um, And then we continued on after that um, and and kind of recently, well, last weekend or the weekend before, brought it to the conclusion um, where I I did some homebrew stuff after that, that really kind of nicely wrapped up the, the campaign. Oh, that's so great. So, how long was it from start to finish? Then it was a little over a year and a half. That's great. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, and you know, of course, the pandemic hit right in the middle. So, we were meeting every two to three weeks at my house. Uh, in my basement, um, which is great because we all live in the same subdivision. So, that everyone would just kind of walk over, hands with snacks. That's great, and <laughs> and sit in the dungeon or the the basement. Um, and you know, it's like a very, in some ways kind of old school D and D, you know, your friends just coming over with snacks and sitting in the basement playing, throwing some dice. Right. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: and then the pandemic hit and then we were meeting like every week. So like we really picked up steam because we were all stuck in our houses with our kids and nothing else to do. And then we're back to the roughly every two to three weeks now.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So listening to you describe how that came about. I think it's a little unusual to hear of a campaign that is so specifically built around kind of the interests or expectations of the player, the particular players. Can you talk a little bit about like what was it that your wife did or didn't want in the game and how did that kind of affect like the published adventure you chose to run or just the type of campaign you chose to run? It, it's hard, right? I mean,
2: I know my wife extremely well because we've been together for 20 years now. And um, so I, I had a very good feeling for the kinds of things that she enjoys in general in media and, you know, the type of topics that I think that she would uh, find interesting. So, like, is it selfish that I gear the entire campaign around my wife? Yes, I did. Um, <laughs> because it's very important to me that, you know, she enjoyed it. Um, and and then I also knew that I had these, these people in my neighborhood that, that well, I guess I didn't know. I thought these people in my neighborhood would enjoy the same kind of things and it turns out they really did. And we did run a one shot and then there was there was a little change up in, in the players. Um, we did run the one shot. One of the people said, you know, thank you. Um, I enjoyed it, but it's not my thing. And then another person in the neighborhood heard about it and said, I want in. So <laughs> um, so we had a little bit of change up and then two other uh, two other people in the neighborhood heard about it and said they wanted in too. So yeah,
1: so I'm curious about that, right? So this is this is something I think every GM goes through is you're, you're trying to put a group together and you're trying to de- identify the sorts of people that would say yes or who'd be, who'd be interested in playing. I guess, were these all people that expressed some sort of interest in, in D&D in, specifically to you or like, yeah, how did you decide, right? There's a lot of people in the neighborhood.
2: Right, um, yeah. uh, so George, who was on a couple uh, weeks ago, um, we, that played in that one shot on mm-hmm. the air with me, I met him at the bus stop, mm-hmm. and he uh, was talking to me about role playing game because Wendy's had just released their Wendy's RPG. Right, <laughs> oh, right. We were, I forgot we were. Of, yeah. <laughs>
0: yep, a pivotal moment in the pivotal moment games. in yeah. all
2: of in all of tabletop gaming. Um, yeah, it's sold out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he was chatting with me about that, and I had already been kind of floating this idea and tr- thinking about how I would put it together. And I said, well, how about you and your wife? You know, would you would you be into it? And he said, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then these the other two people that were in the one shot, um, one of them is the mother of two of the players in my kids' group. And so I, I asked her. If she, and so she wanted to see what it was that her kids were spending all this time doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last one is a woman that I, I walk to the bus stop almost every day with because she lives a few houses down and our kids get on the same bus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, we, and we know each other um, pretty well from, from some other things we've done together. And as we were just walking and talking one day, I very nervously asked her if she would like to possibly be interested in trying this thing out. And she goes, oh, yeah, I've wanted to for years. Um, the boys never <laughs> invited me when I was in high school. It sounded like yes. a lot of fun. And I said, well, yes, it is. So, yes, please come.
0: And- That's great. So a fair number of, uh, of newbies, I guess, to the game, or at least people that were aware of D&D, but hadn't really played it or played it much, right?
2: Right. So of the, of the, of the seven that I had, um, that I started the campaign with, and then two of them had the baby and, and took off. But of the seven I started with, um, one had quite a bit of experience. Um, uh, or, I'm sorry, the two husbands both had quite a bit of experience. And then one of the moms had played a little bit of fourth edition. Um, but she tells me that this was vastly different than what she remembers of playing fourth edition
1: yeah do you so like when you're playing with new people you know i guess you can call them new people but by the time they're done with the campaign they're experienced right like so it's you know they they're they're dungeons and dragons players whether they like that that title or not i guess did you find that like uh did everybody sort of run out and buy the player's handbook you know like what was like what ended up happening as far as their right like from the beginning to the end as um yeah their like experience level or just how they approach the game
2: right so, um, after our our first session with the with the whole group, um, I think it was kind of like 8 a.m. the next day, because it was an evening game, like 8 a.m. the next day, one of them was texting me and saying, like, hey, which of the books do I need to buy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, That's great. And, you know, and she bought it. And um, so, by the next session, everyone had the player's handbook. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Nice. So, uh, well over half already had it anyways in their yeah. household. So um, so they they glommed on into it pretty quickly. Yeah. So, and, you know, as far as, like, I'm concerned, you know, what else do they need to do to, to be invested in that, you know. That, that was pretty much it. Um, mm-hmm. And then they show up ready to play. And, and then what I noticed was um, pretty quickly, th- uh, three or four sessions in, um, one of them started to bring, like, some art she found. It's like, ah, this is what I think my character looks like. I just oh, found some pictures cool. and put them on the the front cover of her three-ring binder that she had for notes. I, I said nothing about doing anything about note-taking or anything like that. Um, well, I, I did very quickly on early on start assigning different people to be the note-taker for the group, who would then do the recap for the next, you know, when we started off, which is great because they started like Google
0: docking and sharing... So like everyone had it. Nerds, yeah. It was fantastic. I'm curious, as a GM, did you do anything different or try anything new in this campaign? You know, like, was this kind of, were you falling back on kind of what you already knew? Or did you try anything different? Like either with the story or the pacing or anything like that? There
2: is the, the pivotal moment where I shifted my approach to this game happened relatively early on. And that was, um, they had just acquired this property, and they needed to hire some people. And I was like, okay, I'm going to throw, throw a few NPCs at them, see what sticks. And I threw this one uh, NPC, human, Gorsha is her name, who's down on her luck, needs a job. Any job, I don't care, I'll do whatever. Um, I just, I just need to, you know, I'm trying to put my life back together. And they start discussing... And half of them are like, we don't need this trouble. This is just a whole, (laughs) this is a whole mess of trouble we don't need. Not worth it. Our rogue was totally against it. Like, no, this is, we can find other people. And one of them, and one of them, her maternal instinct kicks in. And she says, I've taken her outside to the deck. And I want to ask her, hey, when was the last time you ate? Hmm. And I was like, it's been a couple days. Um, and she's like, okay, we're getting her some food. Where are you staying? And she starts like really, um, really investing in this NPC with almost zero, like almost zero buy-in on my part. Like (laughs) I, I then had to make sure I had the name written down, you know, because (laughs) it was going to be a throwaway NPC. Yeah. Right. And now, um, by the end, she became a, a pivotal character and I, I guarantee that if I killed off that NPC, it would hurt more than killing off one of the player some of the player characters. Right? And and the the key was I realized that uh, this group of players is going to interact with the world in a different quality than I was used to. Mm -hmm. And I needed to respond to that. Hmm. And so what I figured what I was going to do was I'm going to twist the screw a little bit on some of these things right like maybe and you know it, it was like she's going to have some hardships this NPC and you know in the end she had some love and I think by the time this airs it won't be a spoiler okay. but um, the the NPC is going to ask because we, we, we wrapped up but next um, next Sunday we're meeting and we're doing a half a session of just like closing up some loose threads you okay. know and just like celebrating the end of the end of the campaign because it was last session was a huge battle and that took up the whole time so we're gonna we're gonna do half a session of just wrapping up you know and one of the big reveal not reveal one of the big things that's gonna happen is this npc that they cared so much about is gonna ask the woman who you know asked her do you have food and lodging and things like that is gonna ask her to be her maid of honor right Aww. as she has put her life together in some way that's so um, great <laughs> it, it is great, um, and I'm it's like tearing up over here. I know. know. Maybe I. I, I, I have teared up multiple times, um, mm-hmm. like just playing some of these characters as I, you know, just getting into them, um, because I think it's. I, I want. I wanted this campaign to have a full gamut of experience. I wanted adventure. I wanted intrigue, and I and I wanted drama, which is something I that I don't get with my kids group at all, <laughs>
0: right.
2: Um, because they're like, oh, it's an NPC and it's moving. I should stop it, Yeah. Um, <laughs> right? Um, so this this is group. Uh, it had it had a very different quality to it, um, and I felt I needed to step up my game on the on the world building side to mm-hmm. to meet what I think what I thought their expectations would be.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. I think like I know for myself too. I often confront that when you're actually playing a game at the table, you have these expectations about how it's going to go, and then because you're playing with a bunch of other people like they're part of the universe too like they just they challenge you or they change things and they tweak things and it's just it's such a cool yeah it's just a cool thing to get to do with your friends <laughs> like with your family with mm-hmm. your wife and things like that yeah so i'm glad that you got the, that experience and it didn't just co- kind of go by the book and they had some fun it sounds like it was a somewhat of a life-changing <laughs> experience <laughs> it
2: was it was a really wonderful experience um yeah. and i'm it, Incredibly glad I'm doing, and uh, and we got to do a whole campaign, and we wrapped up on a really amazing uh, thing that that just shows the growth of of these uh, of these players, because you know so many of them, it started off session one is like okay which die do I roll and then how do I add that number to it, and then um, this the last session this this big big bad evil person fight, um, and they planned it out so well, I didn't stand a chance <laughs> as, as the bads because they spent multiple sessions planning this thing out um, like figuring out, okay, how can I get information from this, and this place and this place and they scouted out the area in advance and they, they went to the library and they went to the temples and they went to the rival gangs and, you know, used them and they're reaching out to every single different faction they had any contact with and, and getting them, pulling them in you know, to help them uh, do this thing. And then the last session before the big fight, they asked me, the DM to leave the room <laughs> <laughs> because we want to talk and we don't want you to listen as we make some plans. Yeah. That's when you know, you're, you're dead. You're yeah, just you're dead. Done. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> followed that up with, you know, cause there's a few weeks between sessions, like the next two weeks of constant texting back and forth amongst them without me. So my wife will be giggling as we're like sitting down, you know, and, and, I, and I'm like, are you, you you're making more plans, aren't you? And <laughs> they had a battle strategy. They had multiple tactics. They had backup tactics. And, you know, and then and they even planned on who was going to be the one that they were going to sacrifice if they needed to, oh, wow. to uh, in wow. order to, to defeat. They yeah. had it so well planned out that I didn't stand a chance and, it, and it's just incredible player growth over that, you know, year and a half. I'm mm-hmm. really impressed. Yeah, I'm
1: curious about that. You know, so when they are doing all their planning and stuff, right, so, like, this is, it sounds like they went back and sort of touched on everything that you had been, you'd been doing throughout this whole campaign, you know, setting up this whole world, you had all these NPCs and all these factions and stuff. Were you just sort of, like, nervously answering their questions in character and you're, like, you're trying to figure out, like, where are they headed with this or, you know, like, like as you're sort of watching them pull all these strings together, I guess, like what were your feelings at that? At
2: that point? Um Yes. I, I saw what they were doing and there's this great thing about being the, or GM because there's like so many different levels of suspension of disbelief because they, they they seem to have this belief. Even though I said it at session one, look, I'm not here to defeat you. I'm here to push you and test you and help you grow things like that. I've got a, I've got a spiel written down. I'm just I'm here to push you, and that's that's my goal. I'm not here to kill any of your characters. I am here to test them. I am here to put them in deadly or dangerous situations, but really, most if not all should be walking out of every every encounter. Whether it's retreating or in some way, um, or, or you know, fighting or talking or whatever, however you get out of it, yet there's definitely still this idea that it's us versus him, and we need to like outthink him, outsmart him, outplan. And I, and it's like I'm on your side. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. as they were, as I saw that they were pulling on these heads, I, I'm, I was encouraging them to go down these directions. Because I wanted, I wanted, I wanted it to feel really hard, really challenging. I wanted them to feel like they got payoff for bringing in all the different resources they had, and that Mm -hmm. right because you know what it's entertaining, right, to have conflict and and, and resolution. So I I didn't mind it all, Um, and I and I definitely encouraged it. You know, I actively encouraged them reaching out. And, you know, doing the things like dropping little reminders about how, oh, no, what about those goblins you saved? You know, yeah. that type. <laughs>
0: um,
2: but not but not so obvious, but more like, oh, you know, those goblins, they they're coming by for lunch because they think they can get some more free food out of you. That type of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And they are like, oh, while they're here, let's ask
0: them if they can do this thing for us. <laughs> so I, I have two quest, two related questions kind of about the what's next. Um, so one quick question is, so what did you learn? What is something you're going to do different? The next time you run a game for this group the, something that you learned a mistake that you made or just some something that um is going to be different the next time you run yeah i don't know
2: um uh the, the really fun thing is that one of the players has decided to take over his dm so oh. i will be a player um oh. come sunday in a hopefully long-running campaign for this group at least I am stepping down for a little so the thing I'm going to do is I'm going to sit and, and learn as much as I can from a new a new game master and uh, and just kind of sit back but if I had to uh, to to actually answer your question if I had to to just start a new campaign like what would I do differently I think that uh, the place I definitely want to spend I would spend the most effort in is identifying what are the key directions of, of growth that I and the players want their character to go in. Hmm. I want I want to put more effort in because you know we were talking at dinner um, today, and my wife admitted to my son. She's like, I never wrote a backstory, yeah. so, <laughs> yeah. um, and that's fine, right? If that's if that if you don't want one, you know, it's fine. It's on, you got what's on your character sheet. That's great but i I think that there was a lot of payoff that came from in the process of figuring out the what the players wanted their characters to become or how they wanted them to grow, and enabling that to happen. So if I could do that more from the beginning, I think I could get more payoff early on in the campaign.
0: What happened the first time that your player that something like went really badly for the players? especially for the newer players. Like, how did they handle it? Did they did they roll with it? Did they understand that that's how the game goes? Was there a moment of, like, uh, frustration or something like that? Can you... Can, does any scene come to mind where something just uh, went disastrously wrong?
2: Not disastrous. I think that if anything goes disastrously wrong, it's my fault, right? Because i I should not be putting them in a position where if they make reasonable decisions they're not going to be able to get out of it in in, in some way so from that respect it went pretty well I did learn that um, when you're married to someone and you have a lot of history with them and you do something that hurts their character very specifically (laughs) that may not be the best idea Uh. even though it's Balanced for the group, it may not be the best idea for your marriage. (laughs) That just might be specific to me, though. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's probably a good marriage lesson in general.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I had one more quick question along those lines, kind of, and that is, um, so a year and a half of running campaign, playing first two to three time, two to every two to three weeks, and then maybe on a weekly basis. That's a long time to be running one campaign. I, strugg- I know as a GM, I struggle with like, the, with like GM restlessness, I guess you might say. like I will get enthused about something, we'll get a ways into it, and then I start looking at all these other cool new games that are out there that I'd like to try as well. I'm curious, like, is that an issue for you? How do you maintain your own enthusiasm for like a year and a half of weekly games? Were there moments where the whole group struggled to keep the enthusiasm and the momentum, or was that not really an issue for you? Well, I think it was not an issue because of the
2: pandemic, okay. right? So when we were meeting every week, it's because we had no other and and all the people in our group have been very careful about following social distancing guidelines and and it was our for some of us our only real block of human interaction with people that weren't either coworkers on you know on a video call were the people in our immediate family. So in a way that the pandemic helped to prevent that because this was our outlet, yeah. right? Um, and I think a lot of people have, have experienced that, you know, over the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- this was our this was our outlet. Um, as we started getting used to that, I bought this book that really just started to make me think uh, really differently about encounter building and things like that, and that got me all excited again. Um, and that's the monsters know what they're doing by um, Keith hmm. Aman.
0: Um,
2: it's a it's a super great book, um, and it's it's someone who has a background like me, where they started D anD D back in first edition, and then they uh, had a long break, you know, as their, you know, uh, for me it was you know joining the military and then you know school and kids and stuff, and then came back to it later in life. Sorry, I kind of resonated with, with his with his background. And it's it's this person who just went through and really carefully thought about each of the different type of monsters in D D and um, you know what are what are their motivations? Like if I look at their stat block, that actually tells me quite a bit about this thing, right? Because if it has a really low intelligence, it's not gonna do the most tactically appropriate thing. It's just gonna hack and slash at the nearest person. Well, if it's got a really super high wisdom. Then it might be able to be like, oh, that thing is my threat. So, and and he boils it down. He, you know, he talks about like, okay, well, what does this mean? And then he boils it down to like some very specific tactics, which are not the same as just the actions that they have, right? It, in, it includes the actions they have. But I started reading that, and um, and that got my that got my imagination fired, right? So, and it's not specific to this book, right? It's it was just this was the medium that got me excited again to start really thinking, oh, how can I change this up and make it more interesting and exciting you know, for me? And then hopefully my, my players too. Yeah.
1: That's, that book sounds really fascinating. Did it, did it change the way that you approached your encounters? Like, I mean, were, yeah, I guess, what were you doing before you read the book, I guess, and what did you start doing after?
2: With my kids group, this there was a very poignant um, thing that happened. We had this encounter, and it was in a published adventure as well. Different one, Um, but uh, there's there's five kids or five players um, against this one NPC who's this you know this uh, gunslinging drow right and and it's it's an easy win for the for the kids right Um, and but the gunslinger did get a shot in and one of their characters goes down and I paused for a second I thought if I was this thing and like really trying to live my life, survive another day. I'm not going to fight to the end. I'm going to fight dirty to get out of this situation. And what I said was, okay, he is going to walk away, step over the body of your unconscious friend. Go ahead, take your opportunity to text. I don't mind. And they were like, okay. So they do. And he said, all right, he's using his action. He's going to step down. He's going to put his knife to the throat of your unconscious friend. And he tells you, Back away if you want him to live. <laughs> and I I probably wouldn't have done that before, right? Otherwise it would have just been another slog fest, okay, hit roll, hit, roll, hit, roll, and mm-hmm. until it's dead. And the kids freaked out.
1: Yeah. They were like,
2: no, you can't do that. I was like, Why not? <laughs> why not? Yeah. Um, and then I I said, okay, well, he tells you to back around the corner. Do you do that? Yes. Okay. You hear a thump on the ground. And, and I said, you don't know if he's still there or not. And they said, well, we're going to wait. I said, well, how long are you going to wait? 30 seconds. I said, that's fine. You get all of your death saving throws, your unconscious friend, because you're not running out there to cast any healing spells or, or stabilize or do anything like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, I, and I'm sorry, this is getting really into the mechanics of D&D. But, and, and right, I, I put that character on the line because if he rolled poorly, he would have died. And, and that would have been it, time to roll a new character. But the kids, it, it freaked them out, and it it just got me really thinking about how can I make this interesting and not just let's hit and roll, hit and roll, like that type of thing over and over and over again.
0: So. Yeah, what a much more memorable encounter that turned out to be than if they had just traded blows for a few more rounds and dropped him to zero hit points and that was it. Yeah. Right, and I'm sure if that was the case, like they would not remember
2: it.
1: That like quote from is like Mike Tyson, like you, everybody has a plan until they get hit in the mouth, you know. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> Yeah, because I think, like, yeah, like, in D&D, you do get kind of, that like, back and forth, just like, we're attacking, we're attacking, we're attacking, we're attacking, like that. But, I mean, like, yeah, the first time you would actually get, you know, someone would shoot you or slice your arm off or whatever, your tactics are going to change drastically.
2: Yeah, so I don't know if that answered your question, but... I... <laughs> um, yeah,
1: let's actually, uh, you know, we've been going for a little bit, but let's actually talk about the the topic that we rolled about a half an hour ago that's crazy talk yeah just briefly because i think like this might this might actually transition pretty well right so like transitioning to pandemic sort of gaming um to about like you know pdfs and digital game resources i mean you already mentioned that your players got into using like google docs and like texting each other and some of those forms of communication i guess so like did you do anything else Differently, once you shifted over to pandemic play with digital resources.
2: I love miniatures, and I build I build lots of terrain, and and I've got lots of miniatures, and I I love doing this very tactical, you know, grid based combat. I think it's really fun, um, and and probably because uh, George gave me like a really great compliment early on from where I created this this column of death that they had to go down. Um, and it really messed him up. So, uh, I, you know, I got such a big kick out of that. And I really started thinking deeply about, uh, about how to set up these encounters and use my set top, you know, to make it look really fun and interesting. And then we go online and I'm like, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. And for a while, <laughs> yeah. I even like set up a tripod and I had my phone on the tripod while we were Zoom calling and I pointed it at the mat, you know. And then, it, and then it's me like pointing to this and that and saying, where do you want to move them? Where? And it didn't work out. So the biggest change I had to make was being able to walk away and say, all right, we're going to do narrative, pure narrative, um, what I think you call theater of the mind, um, mm-hmm. purely narrative approach. And except for the very last session, we did end up using Owlbear Rodeo. Yes. The online, online resource. Now, it doesn't actually answer the, the topic, right? Because I think the topic was specifically asking about things like pdfs and digital resources right Mm
1: -hmm. yeah although i I would say that that relates yeah and i mean you we had been talking in a social channel about owlbear rodeo you know you someone shared a picture of sort of your final encounter and it looked like Mm -hmm. It looked like chaos, but a, a fun sort of chaos, right? You could just see there. There was all these different factions going on, and there was the big bad guy, and like, and, and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think like that, those sort of mapping things are pretty interesting. Although I think at this point, like everybody has their favorites, or they, they know know what they want to do with that. Um, yeah. So I guess when you're then going online, then did you did you do anything for like character sheets and stuff like that? That was that was different.
2: We already did digital character sheets Mm -hmm. um so that was i i've got three campaigns going on so i can't keep track of all of it um and um and some of them definitely wanted help with their character sheet um Mm -hmm. so we were doing digital character sheets anyways um so that there was no shift there um but what about you two what what andy i know you're big into
0: roll 20 right for online well i wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm big into it. I, I, um, but it's the tool I've been using uh, during the pandemic times. Uh, I guess the pandemic period with the forced shift for a lot of online gaming has made me look at, think about digital RPG like rule books and resources in a different way. Like for for years or decades, you know, I, like everybody else, I, I hope I've been you know accumulating this library of you know game book pdfs you know from like drive-thru rpg and other places and until last year those were those mainly served as uh, an alternate way for me to read a book i already had Mm
2: -hmm. or
0: as a way to get a book i was interested in and wanted to check out but didn't want to invest like the full cost of the the big full color hardcover or something like that so it was the game pdfs like kind of felt like a like, an extra luxury, I suppose, hmm. uh, compared to just the good old physical stuff. But, mm-hmm. like, I had a moment of realization prepping uh, my Alien game last year. Uh, I was trying to go all in on Roll20 and make use of its, like, mapping and and other features. And I I realized how hard that was to do with just the game PDF. The irony here is, like, days or weeks after i ran my game they released like a full digital asset pack for alien like on roll 20 um but but when i was setting up my game that wasn't there and so i was like combing through the pdf you know s- taking screenshots and grabbing images out and making tokens out of them and mm-hmm. trying wait. to pull the maps out of the pdfs and stuff like that wait AD, and AD, uh, AD, you just all all that work.
1: yourself I
0: did, yeah, oh my goodness, okay, so I
1: played in this game, so I'm gonna toot your own horn for a second, like you did an <laughs> okay. amazing job with that. I assumed that you'd bought like a a map pack from somewhere, <laughs> oh no, no, okay. that
0: was a lot of hours like cropping images and and things like that, um, and i mean i'll i'm I've, I've been going on for too long here, but I guess long story short, uh the pandemic and the shift online has made me realize like there is a lot of opportunity for game like companies game creators to like really embrace the kind of new online you know gaming environment um and like just plain old pdfs like feel like the absolute minimum effort these days uh you know that's not to critique game companies because i realize there's a ton of work to create all these assets but um I don't even know where i'm going with this but that's my current relationship with like pdfs and digital resources i've got all these pdfs but now i'm kind of like looking askance at them because what i really want is you know a bunch of images and maps and tokens that i can import into my whatever Mm roll 20 or whatever other tool i'm using Um, when i do see that it gets me really excited about a game and i do see more of that i do see more of that sort of thing from publishers but like, what do you any reactions to that? Have you guys had a similar experience where suddenly, like, you know, just a plain old PDF doesn't look so cool anymore? <laughs> yeah,
1: it's as you were talking, it it really it, it, a light bulb just went off because so the the campaign that I ran that went the longest online was the Blades in the Dark one, and um, so I would end up having like three PDFs open, you know, so one was sort of like a quick quick start rules thing that I could quickly reference a flowchart of how how things happen. You know, another was like a character sheet reference and then the other one was actual PDF of the book. And then I had a physical copy of the book open as well on my desk. And then on top of that, then we had roll 20 open and that's where all the character sheets (laughs) and stuff were happening. Yeah. So it ended up being this like vastly more complicated setup, but then I could, it felt like I could quickly get information. I don't know if that was true or not, but it certainly felt like I was doing something more efficiently that way. But yeah, the PDF at that point really just became like a full text searching thing at that point but the the meat of what i was using was the roll 20 character sheet right it's like you know like you have this amazing digital tool available to you that automatically can track stress and you know track experience and things like that over the course of a a whole campaign that you would typically be doing on a piece of paper in, in some fashion but then yeah and then the rules then are just sort of a reference and it's like
0: i mean great i have the pdf but without this character sheet i wouldn't be able to play the game at all and to be sure, like searchable text of the rules is like a requirement, I think, for running a game online. So it's good if all you have is a PDF that you can do a full text search on. I mean, that's that's still good. Like you're ahead of the game there. I, so I I use technology
2: all day long um, in, in my job. I work in, in you know tech industry, and um, and I love something about not doing that when I'm playing uh, playing games. Um, however. I do the one the published adventures I have. I do have them digitally, and it has been convenient to be able to to um, to just grab the image right out of there. Right, mm-hmm. that's that's absolutely been convenient. Um, and being able to to click and search through is is okay. I, I really like having the um, the physical books as much as possible. I, and at the beginning, I really tried to not like I was going to print off anything I needed ahead of time. You know, and then I could just flip back and forth and put put things up on on my my DM screen or whatever. Um, And I think that I had to shift and and realize that, you know, this is just part of the resources now that I probably just need to get used to, you know, that there's going to be there will
0: be a computer out on the table. Was it was there a time when so I felt bad for you just hearing you relate that how much you love setting up these gorgeous tactical miniature um, Mm -hmm. terrain things. I felt bad for you, the idea of like shifting to theater of the mind from that was there a time when you thought about like i'm gonna I'm gonna invest in one of these online tools that recreates you know like that has battle maps and all that stuff? I think at least three times yes
2: <laughs> i i i I probably have files saved on my hard drive somewhere from at least three different attempts, so why didn't they stick where I realized that the level of effort I needed to put in to get it to the point I wanted it with like the ability to do um, fog of war and things like that, that it was not fun for me Hmm. because it was so similar to like some of the work that I do for a living to be paid (laughs) and such. Whereas like when I'm painting miniatures, that's like completely outside of my, uh, my normal, you know, kind of things I do. So, um, so that's, that was for me the, the main reason I didn't. And then I ended up using it for this very last session because I knew that it was going to be a very battle intense and I, I wanted as much immersion possible. So I did that one map. I did map, I did block out the different areas that they could or couldn't see, um, that one time. And I think that were I to be running it in the future, I think that I will have those prepared for any major encounters where I want the where where I want accurate positioning to be important to the story,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? Because I think that you can get a lot a lot of bang for your buck with um, narrative approaches. You know, you certainly don't need it if there's like oh there's five of you five of them, let's just call them you know Fred George you know yeah. you know all of the weasley names right um and then you know you you take them off one by one um i think you can get a lot of bang for your buck out of doing that
0: so here's a question for both of you guys so we we should probably think towards wrapping it up here Mm -hmm. um what is one thing that like a game publisher could do did like as far as digital resources go that they don't that most of them don't do but that would really help you out well
2: i think you i think you answered the question already um, because, uh, what you were saying, um, if, if I'm going to publish a game and I want people to play it online, right. Then what I should do is I should release with, you know, at the same time that I'm releasing that, that publish, you know, whatever. Also the, the digital pack, like, yeah. oh, here's your tokens and your preloaded maps. And, and if, if that's appropriate for the game, then I think you want like on day one to be like, oh yeah, bam, we're hitting the ground with that running. Because also, you know, I I know people hate buying the same thing multiple times. Yeah, right. Um, and like, if I were to if I were to release a game for thirty dollars and a digital resource pack for twenty dollars, two months later, people would be mad. But if I were to release a fifty dollar <laughs> bundle yeah. of game and all of the digital resources on day one, people be like, oh yeah, it's more expensive, but you know. Now I've got everything I need, mm-hmm. and right because there's definitely psychology to to buying. Yeah, so I, that's the one the one thing I would my my amateur advice would be for them.
0: It is <laughs> a huge drag. I and I'm not knocking on like D and D Beyond or anything like that, but it is uh it really deflates my enthusiasm when you know I have my shiny D and D hardcover and I want to run it online, but oh I've got to like buy it again on D and D Beyond, and then if I want to run it on roll 20 I guess I could buy another you know package of tokens or whatever it's there's got to be a better way to do this you know uh, (laughs) I I understand why it is the way it is right now but Mm -hmm. um, you know someone in our uh, someone in chat outside of the show recently we were sharing some stats that like roll 20 or 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 fantasy grounds or one of these other services had shared about like online usage And you saw this huge spike of online games being created right at the beginning of the pandemic. And then it started to... There was a dramatic slump off like a month or so later. You know, and I I might surmise... You know, I, I surmise that that was... You know, when people realize that there's a lot of work that goes into running an online game. But then a little while later, the graph started going up again much steadily and much more steadily. And I am truly curious as we maybe see some light at the end of the pandemic horizon if just like gaming has permanently shifted you know it it, it's center of mass online or if we're all gonna go back to our tabletop games you know once this is done do you guys have a sense of that like what about your games like are as soon as the pandemic lifts and it's safe to do so Tim, are you going right back to face-to-face gaming, or is there something that worked? You know, was there some? I don't know. And Chris, uh, I'd a, like to hear your answer too. I have a yes, no, and a maybe. So my uh,
2: the adult group for the campaign I just wrapped, um, everyone has expressed interest, and as soon as everyone is fully vaccinated, that yes, um, we are we are back in person. Um, mm-hmm. The kids group, um, we still don't know when a kids vaccine is going to be out, right? So that's going to stay online for sure. Um, and then I have a, a work group that I, that I do once a week. Um, and you do have a will... lot of games just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. well, the work group is great because it's, it's 50 minutes once a week. Right. Yeah. So I, I do one day of, you know, one session of prep and I'm good for a month and a half. Right. So, and, and it's really wonderful. And there's mostly new players there too, which is great. Um, well, I guess half and half. Um, but uh yeah so that one will be um whenever it's reasonable to to do in in person but i suspect it's going to be always have some aspect of of remote hmm. yeah how about Um, you
0: chris can you answer that real quick i know we're hitting up on our time
1: yeah yeah i think the the quick answer is i don't really like playing online so as soon as i can play in person we'll be shifting (laughs) shifting to that like you you all were mentioning you know getting tokens and maps and stuff like that and my brain just checks out almost immediately when it comes to trying to put that (laughs) together i think because like you tim right i work in tech and like i've i've done a lot of like acquiring assets and getting them organized and saving them out and stuff for like a professional thing. And I just don't really want to do that with my, my hobby. And then for me also just running games is a lot about the, the interpersonal sort of reactions and um, interactions and stuff like that. So just that's, that's where I'm at. Although I also have a baby, so that makes scheduling hard and being able to just jump online is quite a bit easier. So (laughs) I'll continue to play in games like that for sure.
0: And Andy, you have to answer. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, getting back to face-to-face gaming. But uh, it's been a confidence booster for me in the last six months to see that online gaming. Alien game went pretty well. My Band of Blades game online is going pretty well. It's been a confidence booster. And, it you know, you, you can capture that magic online. Mm-hmm. It does take extra, for me at least, it takes extra effort to get those maps and tokens and things like that. But... um I do think it pays off, you know, and it is a different beast than face-to-face gaming, and it's got some pluses and minuses, you know. But um, I don't know. I I imagine that I I see myself like uh, mostly doing face-to-face, but maybe having an online like game going in the background <laughs> most of the time. I don't know. That would feel yeah. good to me.
1: All right. Well, uh, Tim, before we let you go, we need to do the the last thing, which is replace the topic that you rolled. Yep. Um, so, I'm looking at the table actually, and I think um, we did a refresh, and you were the only one who has a, another topic on the table. So, you'll have two on there pretty soon. So, do you have, have anything that you've been thinking about that would I be a do, fun conversation?
2: I do. Um, I would like to learn about saying no. Okay. As the GM, oh, you know, um, when should you say no? And then, if, they're, if you're willing to push, the, push your, your guest, when did you say yes that you should have <laughs> said no? <laughs> right uh, because there's there's always this theory that it should be yes and all the time mm-hmm. but i think that there's sometimes value added in saying no and it's yeah. and i ask this because in this campaign there are two specific cases and we're out of time so we can't talk about it where <laughs> i should have said no and i wish i had
1: yeah huh. oh that's good we're gonna have that to a warning great. up front anybody who's played with the gms who are talking on an episode should just turn it off run away <laughs> they don't want to hear the stories <laughs> yeah yeah All right, Um, Tim, thank you. This was really great.
2: I really appreciate it. Um,
1: Yeah, so I've been Chris Salzman.
2: I've been Andy Rao. I'm Tim Saucer.
1: (laughs) Remember, if your players are having fun, you're a great GM.